The nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once in a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. This is Leanne Meyer. Thank you so much for joining us again today. Today we're going to be talking, uh, the title of our show is Nursing Talk Show Jam with Keith Carlson and Joyce Batchelor. In the course of doing these shows for th- uh, the past three years, I've had the pleasure of meeting some pretty interesting and intriguing nurses, but none so interesting as other nurse talk show hosts. Today's guests have been providing thoughtful and informational podcasts to their listeners for years. After being a guest on Joyce Batchelor's show, All About Nurses, I had the idea of having two guests who are both podcast hosts who could share something about their own shows and that we could then talk about them together. Um, Things that most interested them, impressed them, or enlarged their knowledge base. So Keith Carlos. Carlson is from the uh, podcast Nurse Keith. Most people will be familiar with that. And uh, my other guest is Joyce uh, Batchelor, and she is from All About Nursing. So, uh, Keith, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Welcome, by the way. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your bio, how you got involved in the talk show uh, business. And, um, yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Leanne. It's really a pleasure and a privilege and honor to be here. And well, my podcasting, whew, my podcasting life began in January of 2012. Wow! Eight year eight and a half years ago, my two partners of mine and I launched RNFM Radio as one of the very, very first nurse podcasts. I think there were two other ones on air at the time, uh-huh. so we were kind of um, ahead of the curve there, and we learned the hard way. And we did about 260 episodes with different changes in hosts. I was the only mainstay throughout all the different changes of personnel. And then I spun off, uh, it's called actually the Nurse Keith Show. I spun that one off about four years ago, five years ago, and I'm just over 300 episodes now. And it's been really fun. RNFM Radio was really a talk show. We even had call-ins at the beginning until we changed platforms. And we had lots of guests. And the Nurse Keith show actually turned out to be a solo show for 190 episodes until I switched into more of an interview uh-huh. style. So I've been doing a lot of interviews since then. And now we're okay. just over 300. So it's been a really, really fun ride for about eight years. And how do people contact you or hear your show? Oh, well, they can find it at nursekeith.com, but the easiest way really most likely is to go to any podcast app, Apple Podcasts, etc., and just plug in the Nurse Keith show and it'll come right up. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I'm also happy to introduce Joyce Batchelor from All About Nursing. Tell us the same, a little bit about yourself, how you got into doing the podcasts, and I believe yours is also live. Um, how people can get a hold of listening to your show. Sure. And again, I would like to thank you for having me on the show as well. It's pretty fun to find other people that have the same Mm -hmm. sort of goals. And uh, um, I had been in uh, a 
senior executive role. I was assistant chief nurse for about 19 and a half years. And after leaving there, I was trying to figure out what I really wanted to do. <laughs> and I had the opportunity to be on a radio show for Women's Empowerment Month to talk about my career and why I became a nurse. And it was a 30-minute show, and I could not understand why this radio show host was just so fascinated with my story because I thought, well, you know, a lot of people go into nursing with similar kinds of things that have happened to them in life, and it was their calling. And and so, anyway, I went about my business, and then he called back um, a few months after that and said, have you ever thought about doing a radio show? And it was kind of funny because the answer was no, but I wanted to learn more about it. And, you know, I've always had two pet peeves that are really major. One is, you know, when people put things out and there's like a new report and we're supposed to do this, I used to think, say to myself, who are these people? And I either needed to learn who they were and how to get involved if I had an opinion that needed to be shared, or I needed to accept what was being given in terms of directions that were happening, whether it was from the Magnet Commission, the policy changes, or other variety of ways. And and the other pet peeve I have is I go to these meetings and listen to the most amazing work that nurses are leading everywhere. And we applaud one another, and I look around and think, okay, we're clapping for ourselves again. Nobody knows what nurses do, where we work, the impact we're having in just about every piece of the continuum. So I asked him, you mean to tell me I can have anybody on and talk about whatever I want to talk about? And he said, yes. And I said, well, you have no idea how many people have been trying to shut me up for years. I'm in. (laughs) And so I've had a lot of fun being able to meet a lot of people, similar to like what you and Keith have described. And then you start meeting more people that you, you potentially have on shows and you start to have them share their stories. And what I have found that it's not just lay people that need to know more about what nursing is all about, but even in the nursing arena, because I teach in a DMP program and I give clinical hours for some of the courses I teach. If there's certain shows that I have content experts and I think it's applicable. And the nurses themselves who are tenured are amazed and inspired. And I thought that's wonderful because that's part of it is how do you keep people inspired and have hearts reignited to where you really then stay engaged and why you went into the profession to begin with to be able to really make a difference. And so, you know, as Keith described, I also have the radio shows on the BPM Global uh, Network, and you can find it on Apple and iTunes, iHeartRadio podcast. And so it's been great to see the variety of places that people can listen to it. And, you know, and I can tell you there are some Wednesdays I think, why am I doing this again? And then I have guests, and they start speaking, and... I'm wired for the rest of the evening, just totally excited having had the opportunity to learn more about their work. You know exactly what you mean. Um, I'm thinking, let's just talk for a moment about this, because this has one of, been one of my pet peeves, is how little um, people know about nurses. And, you know, we've kind of always been in the background, and nurses are not what they used to be, and people don't really know that. Um, you just mentioned the doctor of nursing program, the DNP, and um, that's one that a lot of people have no idea that nurses are doctors and that they yeah. are highly educated. Um, 
Um, most nurses now are going into a BSN at the mo at the least, uh, Bachelor of Science in Nursing, and uh, anywhere in between that to MSN to other kinds of master's programs that they put into it, uh, masters of business. A lot of people are nurses are going into that so that they can speak the language of the administrators. Um, Keith, do you have uh, anything you'd like to add to that concept of how come people don't know what nurses are doing? Oh my gosh. I think part of it has to do with nurses still not really owning who they are and their their power and their place in the world. I think mm -hmm. having been, let's say, a quote-unquote feminized profession for a long time. We were called pink collar for a long time. And we were seen as the handmaidens of doctors and, you know, women could only become nurses and teachers. It wasn't really looked on as a profession. So not that many years ago, truly. And I believe there's there's been some good literature and research on this. There's a wonderful book called From Silence to Voice, What Nurses Need to what Nurses Know and Must Communicate to the Public by Suzanne Gordon and Joyce Beresh. It's really mm -hmm. one of my go-to books. And Wonderful. I believe nurses just need to learn how to be more out, out there, out front and center with their opinions, mm -hmm. talking to legislators, running for public office, perhaps. We have a few nurses in Congress. And getting a seat at the table, because we all know if you don't have a seat at the table, mm -hmm. you're going to be on the menu, right? Yeah, and not just a seat, but to be actually heard. Yes, a seat and a and a bullhorn. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right there, you yeah. go. Or a microphone. I had, I had one uh, DNP nurse said that she was uh, invited to come to the board meetings, but not expected. You know, kind of nice little nurse, just stay there and be quiet. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was when she decided she needed a bachelor's. Uh, I mean, excuse me, um, um, master's and business. Uh, because she had a lot to say and they were so far off on, you know, what they were thinking about. And they're making decisions in the boardroom for nurses at the bedside and they have no clue um, what exactly needs to happen there. So I think that's happening a lot. There's been a whole program on nurses being on boards, not even just uh, healthcare boards, but every board on every corporate, you know, um, company. <clears throat> and I think that's a great thing because nurses definitely bring a focus that uh, few other people do. Joyce, anything you want to add to that? I was just going to add that one of the good things of this pandemic has been more nurses in the media. And I think that there's been more attention paid to the critical role that nurses play in helping people with their care and the kind of specialization that's needed as people have talked about the, you know, the number of critical care beds that have had to open and the specialization and all of that. And I think the thing that I talk to other national nursing leaders about is how do we stay in the news and in the media because we don't want to lose the opportunity to continue to have our voices heard because we've been pretty much invisible. And even when nurses have tried, sometimes journalists might come and say, hey, I'd like to interview, but then their editors will say, you, you only talked to the, like, the chief nurse, you didn't have the CEO. Yeah. So I think we've got work to do in terms of, um, you know, as you were describing too, Keith, reaching out and developing these proactive relationships so that mm -hmm. they understand the expertise and the kind of experience and wisdom that you have that you can bring and be there to help them when they've got questions that they don't know how to answer that they can give you a call and you'll help them with it. Exactly. And are either of you familiar with Harrow, H-A-R-O? 
No. It's Help a Reporter Out. And you oh. can sign up for Harrow, Help a Reporter Out. And then you can actually receive email blasts about what reporters are looking for, or you can actually go on the website and look for, okay, who's looking for a nurse or healthcare provider? So help a reporter out is a great way to get out there into the world. H-A-R-O.com? I'm not quite sure, but uh, I can look it up, but it's help a reporter out. You'll find it eventually. Um, So one of the things that um, Keith had mentioned that he wanted to talk about, and I also would like to, and I absolutely know that Joyce has some input on this too, is uh, racism and racial disparities in healthcare. Um, I've been pretty surprised, uh, and I shouldn't be, because I come from a very small town where um, the concept of, of um uh, diversity is having the German Catholic Church and the Irish Catholic Church. So it shouldn't surprise me how many people even beyond that that do not understand that we have had a long, long history of uh, inequality between white people and almost every other race. So um, uh, Keith, would you like to open that discussion based on the show that you did? Sure. Yeah, I did a show called Racism and Racial Disparities in Healthcare, Fighting the Good Fight. It was episode 277. And I had also written an article I published on LinkedIn that's gotten a lot of attention because this is an issue that we need to talk about. And the the mistrust in the healthcare system in the African-American community specifically dates back many, many years to the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, where African-American men were duped into thinking they were being treated for what they called bad blood, but they were actually not being treated, and then were just being watched for how the natural course of syphilis would eventually take their lives. So that mistrust is ingrained in segments of the African-American population, and if we look at African-Americans being 13 to 14% of the U.S. population, the disproportionate burden they're carrying of the Mm COVID-19 disease and death is astronomical. And people, some people will say, well, it has to do with lifestyle choices or hygiene. Mm -hmm. And and I bristle at those statements. (laughs) So I I just, I, I, I just can't even believe people would, would go that far. So -hmm. there's plenty of reasons behind this disproportionate impact on the African-American community and the Latinx community and others as well. So this is something we need to look at. We need to look deeply at it and we need to change what we see out there. And we need to not be silent because silence is complicity in these situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In addition to what you're saying, and I do hear the same thing, people are saying, well, you know, they don't take care of themselves and they eat poorly and Mm -hmm. um, they never see the doctor until it's too late and so on and so forth. Um, And somebody mentioned to me that we look down on people for their choices, but generally people make the best choices from the choices they have. And that is the disparity uh, uh, between white, again, and almost every other race, is that they do not have the choices um, through redlining, which is not allowing, especially black people, uh, many times uh, Mexican-American or Latino, Latinx uh, people, and and even Asian people, uh, 
uh, right now, I guess we've got the Muslims uh, have been kind of in that situation too, where uh, they're kind of relegated into a certain area. And um, oftentimes there's not enough jobs and certainly not enough jobs there that are uh, paying a living wage. Mm-hmm. Um, they often, because they are uh, have very low wages, they tend to not have transportation. So getting a job further away is more difficult. Um, the guest that I had on was Dania Dunkley, and she's an expert in maternal child health. Uh, but she was able to come on and talked about even a wider segment of the population. She talked about the the um, uh, food deserts. Um, yes. And again, some people don't realize that in some communities, there may not be a grocery store within 20 miles of you. And again, if you are somebody riding the bus and to go and get groceries, you have to take your three small children with you. It's a big deal and very, very difficult. And you cannot bring very many groceries back with you. So uh, in their immediate areas, often the, the corner stores, which maybe have nothing that's Um, you know, fresh food and probably not in very good shape if there is there. And so the rest of what's there are things that are either cheaper, fast, and probably not healthy for the person at all. So big surprise that they have diabetes and high blood pressure and some of the other problems. Joyce, what are your thoughts? So I work with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, um, having been an RWJ executive nurse fellow, and the social determinants of health is their passion. And there is so much good literature on their website that helps to illustrate everything you've just described. And there's a zip code report that even illustrates and, and tells you how your life, like what your life expectancy is like based on where you live. And it's all the things you've described, plus, you know, if kids can't go outside and play because it's dangerous or there is no place to go out and play or everything is organized sports and not everybody can afford that, I mean, you can just see all of the different things that end up lending themselves to setting them up to have unhealthy habits. I'm hopeful that this is going to be something that really helps to look at, so how do we begin to change it? Because we, we need to, and and particularly starting with the children, because when you look at some of the statistics around children, we you know, we have the most unhealthy population of children in the history of our country. We've got to make right. some changes. If we don't, it's going to be a, uh, we're going to have a real mess going forward. Well, we're starting with a mess, so I guess. <laughs> so, Joyce, do you have a thought of what you'd like to see happen to start this change off? I think that every employer and nursing school, medical school, I think everyone needs to look at, you know, what do they really have in their environments, you know, on a day-to-day. This has to be changing uh, how we interact with one another and not being tolerant of bullies, not being tolerant of, you know, uh, racial slurs and addressing those things and and helping people learn how to have those kind of difficult conversations because not everybody's comfortable doing that. And, uh, and I think that we've had such illustration on, like, the statistics of what the police department, you know, is staggering to me. And mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like I must have been sleeping someplace or something because I, I would hear some stories here and there. I had no idea the statistics were as bad as they are. We've got to make changes in that. It's, it's just not right. But it's going to take people being much more intentional 
in how they look at their work environments and right. the way they allow people to interact with one another. And, you know, we got a lot of work to do because, to be honest with you, I was listening to a colleague of mine describe some of the issues and the things that she's experienced as a black woman. And I was smiling to myself thinking, well, I've experienced that as a female executive. I <laughs> mean, so it's, we've got issues in a lot of different sectors that need to be fixed. But definitely, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the, impro- the disproportionate share of deaths with COVID-19 has shown us that we've got some really big issues to start getting on top of quickly. Keith, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think we also need to make sure we mention the physiological, not just mental health, but the physiological effects of chronic exposure to racism. So Mm -hmm. if we have endemic racism within the culture, within the society, studies have shown that stress and immunity are deeply impacted by racism in the experience of racism. So it's the body's ability to, to ward off disease. And when we look at income inequality, discrimination, violence, we look at, you know, just the stress of being a black person in the United States today, being followed when you go to a store, um, not being believed when you say that you're a, you're a leader or a manager or a supervisor or a CEO or whatever it happens to be. And that chronic stress that is there underlying 24 hours a day, as soon as an African-American walks out that door, that I believe that is something that needs to change. And that's part of the ongoing conversation that's happening great, thankfully, around the country. But my, my inner cynic is quite worried that this country can actually overcome over 400 years of endemic mm. racism. But I, I want to do my part as much as I possibly can and, and chime in as much as I can, especially in relation to healthcare, because I feel like that's where I can make mm-hmm. my voice most heard. Right. Um, I absolutely agree with both of you. I think the biggest thing is going to be, um, so many times I hear white Americans saying, well, it's not our problem, it's their problem, they need to figure it out. And the reality is, no, we are the problem. And until we can acknowledge the problem and our part in it, this is not about slavery 150-some years ago. This is about how we interact with people of color, whatever their color is, every single day. It is so, um, in, in many ways, those of us who have the white privilege don't even realize, you know, how we're maybe looking at or talking to somebody. One of the things that Dania Dunkley pointed out was um, the incredible disparities between uh, white women in having babies and black women having Mm -hmm. babies. And um, I don't have the statistics right in in front of me, I'm sorry, but um, it's pretty horrible. And one of the things she said, it isn't necessarily about the single parent, uh, 16-year-old mother um, uh, who is living in poverty or on the street that's having trouble with pregnancies and maybe either having their child or children die or themselves. It is true for every level, socioeconomic level, for people of all different education levels, even nurses um, who are black or uh, people of color of some other race um, are finding the same thing. And part of it is when they go in to get health care, there is this subtle 
difference in how they are interacted with. Um, I just passed on a post this week that was a young man who was uh, just devastated by the death of his wife uh, during childbirth. Um, she ended up having what we call DIC, uh, disseminating intravascular clotting. Uh, apparently, there's a new name for it. I think the um, uh, the OB aspect of it is HELP. Uh, I think it's H-E-L-L-P. Uh, so at any rate, she uh, was about uh, six months, seven months when March came and the whole problem with uh, COVID came in, they closed clinics, they were doing uh, the telehealth type uh, conferences. She was calling regularly because she felt like something was wrong, something was really wrong. She called and called and called and they just kind of, you know, blew her off. You know, you're young, you're, you're, you know, all of these things. So long story short, uh, when she finally went into labor, she also started bleeding. And when she started bleeding, she started dying. The ambulance got her to the hospital and they were able to uh, do a cesarean which saved the baby, but did not save mom. Of course, you know, doing the cesarean, you just made the problem even worse. And so she ended up dying. And so it was this young man telling the story of losing his wife because of the color of her skin. Yeah, it's tra it's just tragic. And that's one story of countless stories, probably thousands, tens of uh -huh. thousands, millions of stories like this. And uh -huh. you were right that there's, there's the subtle ways in which people are maltreated or not treated at all. And then there are the more blatant things that, that occur. And... You know, imagine also being an African-American trans woman who is trying to, let's say, get health care, for instance, or apply for a job. You know, if if having having those multiple, quote unquote, strikes against one in the society, it definitely puts one not just one step behind everyone else, but it's, this is like, you're not even getting onto the staircase that everyone else is on. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Joyce, anything you want to add? I think you all have raised a lot of wonderful points. I think I would really like to see us get more strategic for getting more minority students into nursing. And, you know, I live in Austin and there's a very strong Hispanic population here, and and yet we don't have that kind of pipeline of Hispanic nurses, you know, that can help us with really understanding their needs, et cetera. So I think we've got to start tackling it in a variety of settings. Mm -hmm. I have mentioned on this show many times that I've been involved in uh, the University of Minnesota has just started uh, about a year ago, I think it was, uh, a program, uh, a, a uh, scholarship program for people specifically of color who are interested in nursing. And the reason that I'm most interested in it, it's not only giving um, funds to the person who might want to come into uh, nursing, but also a mentor to help them walk through the differences of culture. Uh, you know, if you're a high school student in the inner city and nobody in your family has maybe either gone to college and, or maybe never been a nurse, um, you even if you have that ability and that desire to go and do it, you may not have 
um, a sense of what the cultural differences and divides and obstacles are going to be throwing you your way. Um, so it's really important uh, that they have a mentor they can turn to and trust at any given moment and say, what is going on here and what do I do about it? Uh, maybe even have somebody that can go to bat for them. So um, I'm thinking this might be a good place to take a break. Um, when we come back, we can start on another topic. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and uh, our topic today is uh, the Nursing Talk Show Jam with Keith Carlson and Joyce Batchelor. And um, we've been talking about all kinds of things, particularly uh, mostly now, I guess, with racism and uh, in healthcare. So we will be back in just a couple of moments. Thank you. Womeninhealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020 womeninhealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. Uh, I am Leanne Meyer, and today our title is Nursing Talk Show Jam with Keith Carlson and Joyce Batchelor. Both talk show hosts in various parts of the country. Joyce is in coming from Texas, and uh, Keith, I know you're in mountain level, and I've forgotten where you are exactly. Santa Fe, New Mexico. That's right, New Mexico. Okay. Um, so yeah, in coming back, we were previously talking quite a bit about uh, racism and healthcare. And um, Joyce wanted to mention some information about a study that has been done. Um, Joyce, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so I think you are familiar with the Future of Nursing report that came out um, that was done with the National Academy of Medicine. And that's the one that's really been pushing for us to have nurses going back to school for their BSN and, and having the doctorate level become like doubled and things like that. So the National Academy of Medicine has been working on the future of nursing 2020, 2030. And we were hoping that that report would be out and 
there would be uh, great recommendations made. That's being delayed now until September of 21 because the expert committee that's been working on this is seeing that there's new things that are emerging as a result of COVID-19 with this global pandemic and that there's potentially going to be recommendations regarding nursing's role in responding to a crisis such as this. And they want to really look at all of that and the changes that we've seen in clinical care and nurse education, leadership, et cetera, because they really do believe that if we're going to change healthcare, nurses are the ones to do it because we're present in every part of the continuum. So I'm pretty excited about that. And, and I think in the meantime, there is a report that the World Health Organization put out that the state of the world of nursing, and there's recommendations in there that I think are important for people to take a look at. But it's great again, and it's terrible that we have the pandemic, but in some ways it is starting to really elevate up what it is that nursing is all about. And one of the things I was really excited about was to hear that, you know, the proning that they're now doing with patients instead of putting them on ventilators, you know, that actually, that innovation came from nurses. And so I really think that we have to continue to, as we talked about earlier, figure out how to keep what nurses are doing, where we work, how smart we are, how educated, how uh, dedicated, et cetera, uh, out so that people can really know more about what we're all about. And one last point I would make is that it's a little ironic that this is the year of the nurse. I don't mm. think anybody had planned on a pandemic to showcase uh, the year of the nurse. <laughs> the World Health Organization is extending it into 21 because we haven't had a, any time yet this year to have fun. So right. I think there'll be more exciting news coming out as we continue. Uh, yes, I, I am also thinking in terms of uh, about, uh, it must probably about a year ago, it started to dawn on me just how many nurses there are in the world. Um, about 3.8 and rising in the United States, or maybe it's going down now. Um, and all around the world, in, when I tried to get statistics on it, there's so many different ways of, you know, looking at nursing and how different countries name nurses. So it's a little bit harder to get the whole country. But I'll be willing to bet that as one profession, uh, it probably has the most number of people in it of any other profession. I can't think of anything else that would be more. Um, so it, it occurs to me that Right now, especially in the United States, this pandemic has absolutely crashed healthcare, um, especially public healthcare. Uh, in the past, from the time I was graduating from nursing school, healthcare was paramount, and it was a had great uh, uh, esteem uh, by pretty much every area of healthcare because they recognize that unless we could keep track of what's going on in the country, what's going on in, in infections, where they're coming from, where they're going, and be able to kind of finalize what we need to do, um, it just becomes pandemonium and that's what we've got now. So um, I just feel like if anybody is going to be able to turn this, I think it's nurses. And I'd sure hope that we would get back to uh, kind of healthcare theory that is around compassion and holistic with an age, holistic with an age where you take the whole person in one moment instead of all the pieces and parts, which is WH holism, um, and then just sort of figuring somehow or another they fit together. Um, before we move on, Keith, any thoughts? 
Oh my gosh. Well, there's there's so many ways that we can we can look at this, but I do believe that that some massive changes are needed here and I do think nurses are at the at the pinnacle of their their efficacy right now or and also the recognition of their efficacy during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I believe there's, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking is awesome, but <laughs> right. I think when we do look back and write the history of this particular pandemic, however long it lasts, I think we can, we'll really be able to dig into how nurses contributed, you know, from proning and all the different interventions mm-hmm. that have been jerry-rigged or figured out along the way to the ways in which nurses really showed up in mm-hmm. in a major way. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot to learn and time will tell actually how this all comes together and how we how we actually take those lessons and apply them. Right. So while we're on this topic of COVID, um, Keith, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what's going on this summer, what's changing and what's worrisome for you? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I've been doing COVID updates. I have, I think, 14 on my show now or 15. And I've been interviewing people, doing research, staying up to date and listening to a lot of great COVID podcasts and following the people I trust. And many, even doctors I know and trust were saying that summer was going to be this panacea, that mm-hmm. it was going to go underground like it did in 1918, mm-hmm. even though I was arguing, well, that was an influenza, not a coronavirus. Right. And I never thought summer was going to be any kind of picnic. And obviously it's not been. So mm-hmm. the heat, the humidity has not had the impact that people were hoping for and they were hanging their hat on. And I just never put my eggs in that particular basket to mix a couple metaphors. But I think at this juncture here in the United States, we're seeing at at the time of this recording, we're over 150,000 deaths Mm -hmm. at this juncture. And that's 50 times more deaths than occurred on September 11th, 2001. So if we look at the ways in which we have mourned the dead appropriately, from September 11th and those who were injured and impacted by September 11th and the economic impact, this is 50 times more deaths just now as the virus is heating up. And speaking of heating up, here in the United States, we make up at this juncture 25% of the infections in the world and we are 4% of the world's population. So something is amiss. There's something wrong in in the United States here. And on July 29th, the research, well, the the data showed that there were 1,400 deaths in the United States on July 29th, which is basically one death per minute in the country. So if we put all these pieces together and we look at the conspiracy theories that there's going to be a microchip put in the vaccine so that the government can track our movements and that the mask is actually a political statement against the president, et cetera, et cetera, we have some problems on our hands. And Mm -hmm. there's other things I could chat about too, but I I think I've just, that's my opening salvo about where we are right now, mid-summer 2020. Joyce, do you want to add something there? I would just add, as you started describing that, that I live in Texas, and I think that's what the Texas people thought. And I think that we were doing pretty good with our numbers. And then opening the bars and not social distancing and sharing drinks just really has put us into an upward spiral that's uh, very 
challenging and concerning. And so I, I, I just was smiling as you were describing that. I thought, I think that's all wishful thinking, but none of that was true. So thanks for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the, the more deeper you tell yourself that something is not true and all the people that you know and, uh, you know, value in your life are saying the same thing, it reinforces that I don't need to look at this from any other perspective because I know that this is true. And I think, you know, we all can use the example of, you know, uh, gravity or that the world is round. Um, you know, you can believe, have your political beliefs about gravity all you want, but if you decide to step off a roof, you are going to land on the ground, guaranteed. Um, and I think that I don't know what it's going to take, if it's going to be deaths and um, horrendous situations happening for people and their families, or what it will be to to change this. I mean, I there's been so many things that have happened over the last three and a half years that I thought, well, surely this will be the thing. And still, you know, nothing changed. So um, it will be interesting to see. I think we've got, I, I think those of us who maybe uh, would like to have leadership that is more in tuned to science. Um, we have to be the ones that are reaching out a hand, not just you know hitting back at people who are maybe not being kind, not being nice, not being friendly, being aggressive and assertive in lots of different ways. Somehow we have to figure out how to talk to them in a way that can bring them in and allow them a space to step back and say, I might have been wrong. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just going to keep slamming, you know, two heads against each other. Yeah, that's a good point, Leanne. And, and can I bring in a couple other things sure. that have been on my mind Please. this week? Mm-hmm. Um, one is that, well, we can't get too deep into this now. It's a long conversation. But the fact that the U.S. is pulling out of the WHO, mm-hmm. that in the middle of the worst pandemic in 102 right. years, I I can't even wrap my head around the, the, the lack of logic there because it, it boggles the mind. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, back in March and April, I was actually saying publicly that we should shut down the airspace like we did after 9-11, which people said was crazy. And now that we've done the genomic testing, we can see that the virus spread around the country and the world using air travel. And the same is happening now. Lots of people are flying on vacation at the moment. Mm -hmm. And there's, I have so many worries, I can't even enumerate them all. But one of the things I've been watching lately is the, the emergence of this, the, the most prevalent uh, strain or mutation of the virus in the world. Are you all familiar with that one? Yes. I haven't heard the specifics, but I have heard the broad story. Go ahead and share. Yeah, well, it's um, the D614G mutation, and this one is, it was one amino acid shift from aspartic acid to glycine at position Mm -hmm. 614 on the spike protein, and Mm -hmm. that one shift of one amino acid has made this virus more infectious, more transmissible, and in some reports more deadly, though I'm not, I'm hearing conflicting evidence about the deadliness because a virus doesn't actually want to kill all its hosts because mm-hmm. that's how it continues on. So it can't kill everybody because that's not its purpose in terms of its evolution. But the transmissibility and the viral load carried by people who have this particular mutation mm-hmm. is 
outrageous. And this this is actually the most prevalent mutation on the in the world right now. So, you know, we have 165 vaccines in in trial. Process, yeah. Yeah, and 27 in human trials, I believe. So we're we're seeing, you know, there is some light emerging and I'm trying to focus on that as much as I can. My my brother's head of COVID research at the Wies Institute at Harvard. So I get wow. a little inside scoop. So I'm putting my money on people using common sense, <laughs> knock on wood, and also the scientists out there who are doing incredible work around the clock around the world. Right. And so intent, you know, despite all of the negative um, pressure that they're getting from, you know, various different places, they're really just continuing to try to to um, keep focused. And some of them working 16, 18 hours a day, um, I've heard. So, yeah, we need to give them uh, some kudos too for the work that they're doing that's all behind the scenes and at this point it's probably better that it's all behind the scenes so that it doesn't get um, railroaded in some direction. Um, we have, um, I, I'd like to start another conversation and um, I think all of us have talked about innovation. So um, Joyce, would you like to start us off with perhaps a, a, um, a program that sure. you've had? Yeah, I was fortunate to have a couple of guests on a show that talked about innovation, uh, Donna Butler and Rebecca Love, and you can look on All About Nursing and find the episodes that they were on. The part that was really exciting is to hear that there is really a lot of work that's going on that is being where nurses are able to demonstrate just how innovative we can be. But the other part that we talked about is that, again, this there's a lot of negatives with the pandemic, but one of the positives has been the speed at which the kind of innovations have been getting done. And there's been a lot of companies able to like repurpose themselves, uh, come up with new ideas. And a lot of these things were kind of out there, but the emphasis and the focus and the uh, the amount of progress we've made on some things has been incredible. And to the point that the two of you were just talking about, I, I've actually, when I, I can only watch so much negative news. And so mm -hmm. one of the things that's exciting is when you see the positive stories. And you just described one that gives me hope, which is that there's no politics. These people are all working together trying to come mm -hmm. up with a vaccine and trying to figure out the treatment. And they're sharing what they're learning and what they're seeing. And they're talking to one another. And so that gives me hope that that kind of collaboration can continue. But I think the question that I hear people asking now is, how do you keep that innovative spirit, that innovative mindset as a norm once as we continue to go through this pandemic and people go to whatever our new normal is going to be? And so I sort of reflect on what is it that we do that seems to dampen the innovative spirit that we obviously mm -hmm. see and and uh, I, I think that, again, I spend time with working with executive leaders, and I think we've got to look at our leadership in terms of the kind of environments we're creating because we've got the challenges out there and the ideas are out there, and I think that's the positive part. But now right. we've got to figure out how we can continue to support that kind of thing and sure. get comfortable learning when something does not work. Right. Joyce, I want to I let Keith get in here, too, on this. Absolutely. Sure. Well, well, thank you. Innovation is just something that has been part of nursing for forever since 
since our godmother, Florence Nightingale. She was an incredible innovator. She founded the modern science of biostatistics. So innovation is is just part and parcel of nursing, though I think nurses are slowly beginning to give themselves credit for such. I've done, I think, six or seven shows on various types of nursing innovation, and there's great things happening at Ohio State University with their innovation lab. And there's the Johnson and Johnson Innovation Fellowship in nursing, if you all are familiar with that. There's several people I know, Charlene Platten and others who are fellows in that organization right now. So I think the innovation within nursing is something that we need to continue to develop the literature on, pay attention to, and also just just laud and applaud and praise the nurses who are out there doing it and give them a voice. Because I think if we give them a voice, especially in the educational realm, that nursing students hear about the ways in which they can innovate, I think that sets up our leadership funnel for the future. Well, and I think some of that, um, as you said, and I absolutely believe, too, that nurses have always innovated. And part of it is because we've always been told, no, you can't have more money. No, you can't have more supplies. No, you can't, you know, whatever it is. So we just go, uh-huh, and then look at what it is we need for our patient. We create it. Um, and that's just happened forever and ever and ever. Um, however, it's happening more intentionally now as nurses are actually going into training uh, for innovation. There are now programs. Uh, in fact, my uh, guest that's going to be on next week, Dan Weberg, was, I believe he was the first person in his college uh, with the pro, uh, innovation program that they had. So he was the only person in that, in that for about one year. And then after that, it started to catch on and people were interested. Um, but innovation, nurses really are scientists. In some ways, we always have been but maybe have not been trained to the level that would give us um, the ability to be able to um, communicate what it is we know and we think and et cetera to other people who can then make changes. So, um, so we've always been innovators to a large extent. We have been scientists uh, on various levels trying to figure out, well, will this work? Will that work? Um, and then making something work and then hopefully passing it on to other people that can also utilize that and not have to also reinvent um, that same thing. So we are really close to the end of the show. Um, I'd like to give each of you, you know, a minute or so to just what, what would you like to tie up with? What's something you'd like to send out there to uh, everybody in the world? Sure. Well, I think one thing I'd like nurses to take away is that their voice matters that mm -hmm. whether it's a letter to the editor, whether it's speaking with a reporter through helpareporter.com, that's the URL I found, or it happens to be making friends with your local public radio station and getting a spot there once in a while or being called, being in their digital Rolodex to be called by a reporter or journalist for a comment. There are plenty, plenty of ways to make your voice heard. And I encourage nurses not just to join boards through the, and they can report that to the Nurses on Boards Coalition, but also run for office, whether it's mm -hmm. school board or exactly. Congress. That's a great way to get your voice heard. Exactly. And to bring a whole different viewpoint, hopefully some uh, lack of uh, uh, corruption along with it. Uh, as it turns out, Keith, we have a couple more minutes. Is there anything else that you haven't said that you wanted to say? 
Oh, well, one is that I really would like to thank the nurses out there and other healthcare providers, listening and scientists and frontline workers in grocery stores and pharmacies and the people who clean the patient rooms and hospitals. They're important to the environmental services workers. So I want to call attention to the frontline workers who are not just in healthcare, but also who are serving us out in the community every day, bus drivers, mail carriers. There are so many people and we are all in this together. And I think we need to realize how many people are contributing and how much courage and heroism and kindness is happening Mm -hmm. out there in the world. And I have to keep bringing myself back to that. Right. Even uh, going back to the beginning of our discussion, a vast majority of those people who are on the front lines are those people of color. And they have to be working because they can't afford not to work, to stay home. There is no working from home because what they do Mm. is out in the community. So yes, I'd like to reinforce that also. Um, And then I I would like to um, uh, close with a quote. One of the things that is always attributed to nurses is our compassion, our caring, our uh, ability to go into difficult places and stay there with a patient. And so I'd like to just end with this quote, um, be good to people. You will be remembered more for your kindness than any level of success you could possibly attain. And it's by Mandy Hale, not somebody I've heard of before, but when I saw this quote, it really touched me. So we... um, We are at the end of our show, and even though Joyce is not on the line right now, I do want to thank her so much for coming and sharing so much that she has gained from her show, uh, All About Nurses. And uh, also, if I can thank Keith Carlson, who uh, does the show Nurse Keith Show, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you so much. It's been a great show. Maybe we have to think about doing this again. So this has been Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.